You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. And kick old trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Welcome to Radical Australia and Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. Kelly Whitworth, the world's second, second greatest producer. The greatest producer is dead, that was, but uh, the world's second greatest producer has put her hand in the barrel and she's pulled out Margaret Bannon. How are you, Margaret? Uh, good, thank you, Joe. That's excellent. Well, you know what you're in for, Margaret? Um... I'm probably not sure, but... Um, That's good. I'm here, yes. All right. Look, you sound pretty feisty. I'm sure we'll get through this with minimum damage to uh, us in the audience. Now, I did warn you about this question. Who's Who was the singer? Um, no idea, Joe. It's one of your namesakes. Oh. Margaret who? Have a, no. Oh, it's all right. I forgive you. You must have been very active and not actually been part of the music scene. That was Margaret Roadnight. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Remember her, Margaret? No. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons why I don't go on um, competitions and things because um, <laughs> music is not my strong thing. And, no. Um, hey. <laughs> you have an ally here. There's no music on this program, no community oh. announcements. No ads, it's just you and me. Mm, very mm. good, Joe. All right. Look, we'll start at the very, very beginning. What year were you born? Um, that's an easy one, um, 1948. 48. Uh, you can call me yes. Sonny during the interview. I'm three years younger than you are. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got any uh, I think I'm in good company. I think if you've made 70, it's pretty good. That's yeah. a lot of experience. That's right. That's what that's what we've got. To, uh, as far as the youngsters are concerned, like Kelly, the producer, we know things. They think they we know do. things. We do. So, where were you born? Um, Bendigo. Bendigo. Um, yes, in lovely little um, gold mining town way back then. Yeah, yes. yeah. The old Red Ribbon campaign of eighteen fifty three, fifty four. That's Bendigo. Mm-hmm. 
So have you got any early memories about uh, living in Bendigo? Um, yes, um, because we've frequented Bendigo a lot since and um, only we moved, um, we moved back to Bendigo. So it, it is, um, we have a lot of memories there, but um, from um, early birth, is one of the things that I keep returning to with my children is that my mum and dad brought me home from hospital in a horse and cart. And um, I think that says something about... Um, how far we've come with um, transportation and technology in one lifetime. Yeah, yes. is that extraordinary? You've got that memory of the horse and cart, yes. and you would have. Yes. yes it's, maybe it was the rhythm of the, the clip clopping of the horse. Who knows? Um, no, his mum kept telling us. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I don't. I knew that as an infant, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, she had some different stories about her time. Um, driving the horse and cart, so... What, she uh, was driving the horse and cart? She'd just given birth to you and she was driving the horse and cart? Well, they did it in those days, didn't they, Joe? Yeah, they were a bit tough, yeah. Yeah, they were tough. They just did what they had to do, the men's favourite war, and yes. Yeah. So, I assume both your parents have died? They have gone, yes. Could you tell us a little bit about them? Um... Yes, well, my mum was born in Bendigo. Um, her, her dad was a gold miner, honeybee keeper. Um, and my um, dad was born in um, uh, Melbourne and um, uh, in Fairfield. So, um, and they met when dad was in camp during the war in um, Bendigo. Right, right. It's interesting. I, I, a patient of mine who's now dead, uh, she used to tell me that when she was 13, they would go and visit American servicemen based in Melbourne at the age yes. of 13. It was an interesting times. So, any brothers and sisters? Uh, yes, I have um, eight brothers and sisters. Eight, right. So um, quite a big family, and I was uh, second eldest of the eight. Right. Um, and I have um, uh, six, six brothers and two sisters, and the youngest member of the family has already passed away. Right. Right. Did you, yeah. when you were being the second eldest, did you do a lot of um, childminding during, when you were a young woman or young girl? Oh, absolutely, yes. Um my job at night was um, my, my older brother, he helped mum with the dishes after the evening meal and it was my job to bath the next ones down, yes. That's right. And so, and I, I look back at that and think how wonderful it was, bathing them, um, getting them in their pyjamas, piggybacking them around to kiss good goodnight and giving them a side bombery to bed. Right. Yes, it was a lo- lovely memory. Yes. yes. And did you top and tail? Um... No, but we used well, to... Well, you, had your, you had your own room. That's luxury. <laughs> oh, you mean... I know I was thinking of um, washing top and tail, but no, we, we, but we used to say bathwater for everyone. But, yeah, um, yeah. Um, yes. Okay, um, let's go back a step. You just said you used the same bathwater for everyone. So was water an issue or was just that's the way it was done? Uh, no, water was an issue. I think at, at that time, yes, we were mostly on tank water, so... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, just because I'm talking not so much about Bendigo, but we um, grew up in, um, our young years, we grew up in Bort, which is right. um, up, yes. up in the Mallee. Yeah. yeah. It's a very dry area there, Bort. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. Did, you, did your dad, did he actually serve overseas or, or not? Uh, well, yes, but we only found out that after Dad died um, because of the 50-year silence business. Mm. Um, but he was stationed, as far as we know, in um, the northern part of Australia, but then flew out of Australia around the islands, apparently. Right, so he was one of those, um, one, a special team they had at those times that used to do a lot of dangerous type of um, yes, flying out of places. Yeah, so. Three in the plane, mm. Mm. the pilot, the photographer, the gunner. That was it, yeah. Mm. Did he, yeah. did, so obviously he didn't speak about his war experiences or? Never said a word. We didn't find out anything about Dad's war experience until after he died. Right. So he was one of these people who'd turn up on Anzac Day and... Yes. He'd go to yes. Anzac Day ceremonies or he didn't? Yes, he did. He went right. to the ceremonies and... Um, Yes, and now that was one of the sad things, really, because um, it sort of took his children actually to visit the um, the war memorial in Canberra to to begin to unfold that experience. Mm. Yes, they've got very good records there. I've, I've used them myself, and they're ex- they ex- have excellent. Yes. Uh, when you looked at his records, did he ever have any AWOL absent without leave? <laughs> yes. It was very common, wasn't it, among Australian servicemen? It's quite interesting. Yes, well, I think my dad was even guilty of that one. Yeah. He went A-W-O-L to marry my mum. Aha, that's a true love story then, isn't it? It is, yes. You couldn't get a better love story than that, going A-W-O-L. wonder if he spent any any time in the uh, brinks, as they say. So so would you describe your childhood as um, happy then? Oh, a very wonderful, happy childhood, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yes. So did you go to primary school at Bort or did you move on after that? I uh, went to primary school at Bort mm-hmm. and started secondary school at Bort and then moved on from there to... Uh, Dad was a builder, so we moved, we followed Dad around with work and we moved to Echuca and I went to St Joseph's College, Echuca there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Going back to Bort uh, Primary School in the 50s, what was it like for a, a young girl? Uh, well, I think um, from memory it was um, pretty good. Um, I think we enjoyed, we all enjoyed, enjoyed school in those days and um, so it was lovely. It was kind of a relief, wasn't it? I think children don't understand how, much, how tedious and difficult life was when we were much younger and there was a lot of things to do at home and going to school in many regards was like a holiday, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was... Yes, and uh, I think the teachers did a great job considering that um, there was just the teacher and the blackboard and chalk yeah. and, um, you know, like no libraries and um, no uh, extracurricular activities like um, singing or art or mu- uh, music or anything like that, so... I think they did a good job. Uh, yeah. no, no computers, no internet. No computers, no, no computers. Nothing like that, exactly. Uh, do you still remember the squeak of the chalk on the blackboard? Yes. 
<laughs> it's nothing. It's something we will never forget, isn't it? You know, some no. teachers used to use it as a way of catching our attention if we kind of started to muck up. You know. Yes. Uh, so, did you find yourself in primary school that you liked any particular subject or things you were good at? Uh, I don't really remember that. Right. Um, I think I just liked um, learning and I liked sport. Mm. I liked, you know, the games that we used to play. And, yeah. um, oh, no, I just think it was... Um, I have no um, bad feeling about my schooling at sport whatsoever. I think it was just a lovely experience. And anyway, I wanted to become a teacher myself, so I right. guess I had to be good. Well, you did. <laughs> So you went to high school at Bort and then finished off at Yachuka, is that right? That's correct. And what was high school like? Uh, absolutely wonderful. Love, love school, love, love the teachers, love school, loved everything about it. Right. Yep. Anything in particular you, you, you liked? Anything stand out above everything else? Um, oh, loved, I love sport. I've always loved sport and... Um, no, nothing actually stands out. I just think I was just a very fortunate kid that just actually loved my teachers and mm, mm. loved everything about it. Yep. I just want to go back a few years. Now, you would have been at the tail end of the polio pandemic. Have you got any experiences of that? Yes. Um, I do remember the polio because um, I remember um, when we used to go to the what was a public pool, which was kind of like an, an oversized dam. Um, but there was a little um, pool there on the side that was uh, made of concrete, and a young man who had polio used to come there to swim. And as a young kid, I, I wondered, and he had calipers on, I wondered what on earth was wrong with that boy. Mm-hmm. And um, it was only later that I learnt um, that that was... Um, a consequence of polio, yeah. Yeah, I think we've forgotten so, But that was the only experience that I had, yeah. Right. So was there much difference between St Joseph's and Yachuca and uh, Bort High School? No, I liked them both. Right. Um, yes, I don't... I, I just have only happy memories of my school, school experience, I think, yeah. Well, it's nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> no, no, yeah. loved it all Well that's good, yeah. I think uh, Look, there were different days, they were much simpler as you know But you could get a lot out of it Or it could, you could find yourself in difficult situations Yeah. So obviously yeah. you did very well So did you finish year 12? Yes I did mm-hmm. And how did you go? Yeah. Um, well, I think I probably did alright Um went on to become a teacher myself, so I think I must have done pretty good. Yeah. So what, what year would you have graduated? Um, 66. 66, right. Just at the beginning of everything. Right. So what college did you go to for your, for your teacher's training? Uh, a college at, at that time was called the Brigadine Training College. Mm-hmm. That later became Christ College, which later became the Australian Catholic University. So, did a bit of study in all of them, really. Yeah. Right. Okay, get going back again. You raised your Catholic um, education. 
So were, you, yes. were your parents devout, or they like my parents, Christmas Catholics? Oh, no. My parents were very devout Catholics. Right. Very, very devout, and, um, yeah. I was going to make a joke, but I thought it was inappropriate at the beginning when I started talking to you, and you said you had eight brothers and sisters. I said, you must come from a Catholic. The thing that sprang into my mind is you must have come from a Catholic family. <laughs> yes, I did come from a Catholic family, and they had done the children as they came along, and um, yeah, yeah. they've all done well in life and made a wonderful contribution to Australia. So yes, That's good. very Catholic and yeah. very, very, very Australian, very and, odd. And did religion play a part in your life at the, in that early stage, primary and secondary college? Uh, yes, it did. Yes, and it has all my life. Right. Yeah. So you had communion, confirmation. Did you do Sunday school? Did you teach at Sunday school? Or? Um, no, not teaching at Sunday school, but when I became a teacher, I was um, a religious education teacher, yes. Right. So how old were you when you uh, started teaching? 21. 21. Well, that's pretty old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were your parents still supporting you, or were you doing part-time work while you're at Teachers College? Uh, no, parents were still supporting me. Yeah. Right, right. Do they ever say, Margaret, when are you leaving? Or? Uh, well, there, there was nine of us, so yeah, <laughs> I suppose that's just the question that they might have asked all of us at some stage, but no, yeah. all worked that well. Yeah, well yeah. They say, well, Margaret, where's the board? Do you remember your first paycheck? I do remember my first paycheck. And how much was in the envelope? Uh, six pounds. Well, that's pretty good for, what, 68, 69, six pounds. That's a labourer's yeah. wage. Uh, well, I was working full-time, so yeah. um, uh, working full-time to do my year 10. Right. What do you mean working full time to do your year ten? Well, I worked um, forty hours a week. Yep. Um, and I was able because I was second eldest of the family. Um, I was able to um, go to school part time and hold down a job. Right. Right. And um, tell us what you did with that first pay packet. Um, my first pay packet, I put a deposit on this most absolutely beautiful bike. <laughs> it wasn't a Malvern Star, was it? I don't remember whether it was a Malvern Star or not, but it was gold in, in colour and it was absolutely gorgeous. And I paid it off um, a pound, a, pound a, a week. Ooh, yeah. That wouldn't have taken long then. What, 10 weeks? Wouldn't have been more than 10 pounds, would it? Twenty pounds. Oh, you must have had. It was the supersonic bike. Yeah, you must have had a basket at the back for twenty pounds. I did have a basket at the at the, back, at the front and a um, a seat at the back um, oh. to, to cart to cart my little siblings around. Right. <laughs> so you became a, a taxi driver for the siblings. Was it one of those women's bikes? Yes. Well. It was probably one of those women's bikes. No, I don't really remember how much it cost, but it was the uh, top of the range, I top remember. Of the range. Yeah. So, so getting about 
It was all by Shanks Pony before you got your bicycle, was it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yes, yes. Mm. Shanks Pony was the way to go. Right. Um, if you wanted to go anywhere, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, this was in Yachuca still? Still in Yachuca. Yeah, so what, you went down to the river with the bike? Uh, always at the river with uh, the bike, yes. The racetrack? Uh, had you, probably not so much the racetrack. Not the track, right. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I don't uh, remember much to do with the racetrack in Chuka, um, yeah. but... No, um, yeah. Look, I'm familiar with Yachuca because I, I live about 80 k's from Yachuca, so very familiar oh. with it. But it would have been a different town. Was it a tourist town when you were a young woman? Um, it possibly was. Um, I believe it's developed a lot since. And um, and I like going back to Yachuca. I think it was always a beautiful place to live, yes. Mm. And um, uh, we used to swim in the Murray and... Yeah, lovely. I, I can't wait to get back now after COVID to see the new bridge they're putting up. So, yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting little town. I mean, I, I visited a lot during the lockdowns in 2019, 2020, and uh, it was almost uh, it, it almost didn't exist to be honest. Mm. I mean, mm. you'd go in and there'd be two people in a restaurant. That was me and my partner basically. Yeah. 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 So, what does a religious instruction teacher do? Uh, well, um, um, certainly in the, um, within the Christian Catholic tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and towards the end, I was teaching um, a VCE subject called um, Religion and Society, yep. um, which looks at, um, well, the, the belief of um, the creed, um, what what it is to be a Catholic, and if you're in any other tradition, well, it would be whatever it is that you need to believe to be part of that tradition. Right. Um, and then um, looked at um, a, um, an historical challenge to the, the church, which back in those days I did the Reformation, and a contemporary challenge to the church, which was to do with... Um, my big interest, which was um, Pope John Paul II's call to an ecological conversion. So, right. and that was very, the, the kids really liked that, yeah. Right. And, and how old were these kids you were um, teaching? 17, 18. 17, 18. Well, obviously they would have been interested in, in the ins and outs, as they say. And mm. did you continue teaching for a while? Um, teaching has been my career, and then when I um, uh, when I got my doctorate, then mm-hmm. I finished school and started my own business called Healthy Earth Education. Right. Um, right. Let's go back. This, uh, this is interesting. Let's go back a few steps because you surprise me all the time. Now, obviously, you did a master's before your doctorate. Yes, I did. And you would have done a bachelor's before that. A couple. Yes. So where, where did all this fit in? How did you do all this? I mean, obviously, you know, you're a young woman, well, you're teaching. Um, when I started teaching, it was um, a two-year course, and then um, when I had children, then I needed to upgrade, so I did a, a Bachelor of Arts and then a Bachelor of Arts Education and a 
got a dip in special ed and a master's of religious education and finally a doctorate in um, environmental education. Right, right. So, so you would have been, what, in the Catholic system all your life because of the type of teaching you were doing? Uh, yes, mostly in the Catholic system. We do some emergency work in, in the state system, yes. Right. And at the... Now, let's go back to the university days. What universities did you go to? Um, I started off with uh, the, the, um, the two bachelors at Deakin University. Right. And, then and what were they? What bachelors of what? Uh, a Bachelor of Arts yep. and then a Bachelor of Arts Education. Right. And were they part-time That's... or full-time? Oh, no, part-time. Right. Yep. And then um, La Trobe University, Bendigo, to do a grad dip in special ed because I've developed an interest in um, how kids learn that have difficulty. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Masters of Religious Education was um, Australian Catholic University and then I got a um, scholarship then to go on to do a doctorate in, at ACU. Right. Yeah. And what was the doctorate? What was the topic? My doctorate was Spiritual Ecological Consciousness Towards Ecological Conversion. All right, that's fascinating. Now, why that topic? Um, Because by then I had developed a very strong interest in the environment and um, as part of my teaching, I became aware that um, uh, the Catholic tradition had its own teaching on this topic and... um, uh, went back to Pope John Paul II who wrote a lovely uh, letter to the Catholic community called um, Peace with God, Peace with All Creation in which he called the Catholic people of the world to an ecological conversion and that was back in 1990. Right, yeah. right. So why did you take an interest? Was it because of the letter from the the Pope or was it because you'd been developing an interest in ecological concerns over time? I think I had. I think when I was a kid, I was fascinated with the um, peace people, the flower people, the people who were beginning the environmental revolution. Mm, Um, And so um, that, uh, I think, must have stayed with me and then, um, you know, joint land care groups and... um, you know, the early, early stages of environmental action. And uh, <clears throat> then I thought, well, uh, this topic is really, really interesting. And I began to follow the science and it became more interesting. And I thought, hmm, this is something I need to do. Yep. Well, you know, every doctorate is a, is a journey, obviously. And um, it takes many years. So what part-time was it? Five or six years? Uh, yes. Um, I think it was six years in the end, yeah. Yeah, it takes time. So what what conclusions did you reach? Um, From my doctors? Yes. um, The conclusions I reached is that we must educate our Australian people about what is happening to our climate in a comprehensive way. So what led you to those conclusions? Uh, the science. 
I had been following the science as much as I could. I mean, as soon as, um, when I say as much as I could, as soon as uh, the internet came along. Yep. Um, and prior to that, I suppose, you know, just a few books. But it didn't take very long to work out that uh, education in this area was going to be um, very, very important. And I wanted to be part of it. Right. So what year did you finish the doctorate? 2009. 2009. Now, obviously, during this intervening period between 48 and 2009, I think when we first started talking, you mentioned that you had children. I did. How many? Um, well, since you're, you know, um, casting um, ideas about being Catholic, I actually had five. Five. <laughs> so you did all this while you brought up five children. Um, where's the candle? <laughs> I mean, no, obviously, you, obviously you burnt the candle at both ends to do that. Uh, I did that. I did that for my study, yes. In fact, um, one day um, I was talking to my son about it and I said, you know, I hope all my study hasn't actually interfered with you in your life. It might be very, very successful this morning. Yes. And he said, um, hmm, um, <laughs> What study was that, Mum? And <laughs> because I never did any study until the kids were all safely in bed and asleep. Right. So, so you're a wife, a teacher, a mother, and you're studying, and you get to finish a doctorate. That's an extra- yes. that's an extraordinary hand to have. You know that. Oh, I suppose when you put it like that, but it was a lot of years. No, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's a lot of years. A lot of people have a lot of years and waste it totally. Obviously, you didn't waste it. Obviously, you've done lots of things. But yeah. how did you manage it? Um, I think I was just um, very, very committed to it. And um, and I've remained active in environmental, um, the environmental movement ever since, and um, uh, even though I've had, um, I started off my business, um, Health Youth Education, which actually I would say failed, mm. um, because I just couldn't get enough interest in it at the time, and then I got sick, and then um, COVID came along, but in COVID I wrote my um, book called Climate Change. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get... I actually wrote two books in COVID. In COVID, I I wrote two books. Two books. <laughs> Climate. What was the other one? Um, the other one is Mary of Magdala, the um, suspicion of an enigmatic woman in in um, in unexplored places, right. which was um, a, an absolute joy to write and. Um, well, we're going, to, we're going to go into both of these books in a few minutes, but I just want to ask a few more questions because obviously people will be expecting you to ask questions. Subscribe to 3CR. Where else can you hear radical news, analysis, music and opinions? Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 Thank you, 3CR. We love you.
You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Has your faith in the Catholic doctrine been shaken by the um, disastrous... Uh, revelations regarding the Catholic Church, not just in Australia but around the world? Oh, absolutely. um, Absolutely devastating. Absolutely devastating. Um, uh, The the pedophilia in the Church Mm. and um, and look, it's been a real, real challenge but um, I still have faith in the Catholic Church and I want to stay in the tent and Mm -hmm. I think... um, uh, we've got a plenary council going down. We've got Pope Francis, who is an amazing um, pope. Um, and, I mean, he wrote that document, Ladate C on Care for Our Common Home, which, again, calls us to the environment. Um, but, yes, I was devastated, along with, um, well, a whole Catholic population, you have to say. Yeah. Yes. I mean, initially it would be disbelief, and then when when you realise that it did happen, it's very difficult. But obviously the Catholic Church has been there for over 2,000 years and it's survived many, many challenges over, the, over that time. So do you think... Yes. Uh, how do you think Australians these days are interacting with the Catholic Church? Do you think it's made a difference in terms of uh, active participation? Um. I'm not sure what you're saying there. But I guess I think, basically uh, a lot of people kind of just left the church in disbelief oh, and despair. I think that's evident. Yes, I'd say that's very evident. Mm. And um, uh, understandably, understandably um, that, 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 that that has happened and, and, and tragic for um, people who have held um, the Catholic Church in high esteem all their lives. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it is very so, difficult. Yeah, so that has not been easy, and the comeback of trust, I think, is going to be long, and hopefully we will get back to that um, that position of trust. Mm. Right, yes. It's, uh, Probably not in my lifetime, but please God, we'll come back. Yeah, yes. well, as they say, it takes a lifetime to build trust and one act to destroy it, basically. Yeah. Yes. But... As you know, you're obviously well aware of the history of the Catholic Church. It's had it's had ups and downs, ins and outs. And uh, yes. I myself am a lapsed Catholic, and uh, I don't think I'll ever come back to the Church. But you know, um, I, I left long before all disasters came out. Now let's get back to some positive things. Your book. Tell us about the book about climate change. Well, thank you, Joe, for for that because. I'm the author of it, but I'm very much uh, an environmental activist. Um, and I wrote this book in COVID um, because I read this document um, called Is This How You Feel? by Joe Duggan. And it was um, an interview and research with um, a lot, like dozens of Australian climate scientists. And their responses were really devastating. So my book is dedicated to climate scientists whose voices have not been heard. The second thing is, is that 
um, all through COVID, our um, governments were saying we are listening to um, the medical experts and we are acting on what the medical experts are telling us to do with COVID. And so my question then became, well, why are they not listening to our experts in climate science? Why are they not being heard? And why are we not acting on the science? And so I dedicated my book to climate scientists who are not being heard and a second dedication to the youth of Australia who are leading the charge to, uh, for climate action. Yeah, and so um, because I'm a teacher... Uh, secondly, um, I think um, all the talk about um, climate change has been around gas, coal, oil, emissions, targets. And um, I think the Australian people do not understand that all these things are having such an, an impact on everyday life of biodiversity and ecosystems. And so my book is called Climate Science. The consequences of the change in climate may still take us by surprise. Mm. And that is my fear, that we're not, as an Australian population, not well informed about the consequences of global heating and how it's actually going to impact on everyone, everywhere, everything mm. um, in the future. So... Being a teacher, I just wrote this book uh, for ordinary people, um, just the normal person in the street, um, and tried to put it together so that they would understand um, all the implications of the changing climate. Yeah. So have you been able to find a publisher or did you have to publish it yourself? Uh, it's published it's published by Zillibus and, um, yes, I... Um, I think that you call it self-publishing, yes. Right. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with self-publishing. I've done it myself many times. <laughs> Welcome yes. to the club. Because yes. it's, it's very difficult finding a publisher these days for anything, you know, very difficult. Uh, I had tried to find a publisher before for 21 um, student books that I wrote to do with the environment, which are now on the web mm-hmm. um, that can be downloaded. But when I contacted the publisher, they said it'd be a thousand dollars a book, and I thought twenty-one books, twenty-one thousand. Mm, no, don't have that. <laughs> That's right. So, so how do so, how do students access these um, chapters or books you've written that are actually on the net at the minute? Uh, they have to know to well, um, if they go to um, environmental education stuff, um, it should come up, but. Um, it's on the web, environmentaleducationworkbooks.com, and uh, 27 books are there um, across seven levels, and each each level is a full-year program mm. to teach about the environment. Do you think, I mean, currently we're in this phase where everybody thinks that, pro, that green capitalism is the uh, answer. What type of uh, answers are you putting out? Um, the type of answers, I think, well, I don't know that um, there are any answers. I mean, listening to climate scientists talk um, now, um, the the climate emergency is heating up um, to climate catastrophe. The um, 1.5, the, um, the um, carbon emissions in the atmosphere rising. So all, the, all that comes together. So your question is to how might... 
your question was, how am I, what is my message? How am I going to get that out? Well, I can only do it as an educator. Right? And, and then you would hope that some of the people that you might educate will have um, a lot more intelligence than me and be able to see a way forward that change can take place. Yes. Do, you, do you actually see a way forward? Oh, look, I, I belong to um, different organisations. Um, I belong to Extension Rebellion, for instance, and mm. in that group you would have people who don't believe we have a future. Um, I'm a person that believes that we do have a future because I believe in um, in um, the human species to actually, um, when the whips are cracking, that, that they will actually be there. Um, it, it's very 50-50 with me um, and I am driven by um, my grandchildren. Um, I have eight grandchildren and um, I was not born into an environmental crisis myself um, but I'm certainly going to leave one for my grandchildren. So my effort is for them that at the end of the day I want to know that I've, once I realise the Earth is now in in um, potentially a very difficult, um, problematic state with um, climate change and global heating. Mm. I want to know that I've done the best I can do for them. Right. Now, you said you're a member of Extinction Rebellion and a number of other groups. What other groups? Um, well, the Australian Conservation Foundation, the um, Australian... Um, Climate Council, the um, 350.org, um, the Australian Youth for Climate Change. Um, well, um, I just can't think of any others right now. <laughs> That's <laughs> enough. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, you've just made me tired listening to all the organisations you belong to. Obviously, it's a full time well, occupation. Yeah. I do belong to. Yes. I belong to the Vatican Dicastery for um, um, the Laudate Sea Action Platform. And that is to encourage, uh, Pope Francis has, wants to encourage people around the world in seven different sectors, but the sector I belong to is the um, educational institution sector. Um, and Pope Francis would like all Catholic schools around the world, which would be 220,000, mm. to become the Data C schools, where the children mm. would be well informed about the environment and the leaders of the school would make sure that their schools are very um, Ladate C proactive. Uh, so I, I, am I talking to a Vatican bureaucrat here? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, and uh, uh, the well, um, well, I don't know. I mean, I was um, invited by the Vatican Dicastery to come on board because I had done that doctorate in that area. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you did an extraordinary amount of work. What, what I find fascinating is the fact that people come to the climate emergency from many, many different um, pathways, and I think a lot of people would be who listen to this program would be. Um, surprised that you came to this through a religious uh, Catholic pathway to the climate. So what things do you think that are 
in Jesus Christ's teaching that um, leads you in that direction? In the teaching of Jesus, now that's a good one. Um, well, um, one of the, the teachings of, of Jesus, in, in, of the teachings of the church is that, uh, well, first of all, God made the world, so it's God's earth. That's right. the, the foundational teaching there. But um, Jesus suffered and died for all creation, and all my life I've thought, oh yes, that's me um, and my family and people. Um but it, it struck me then that um, if Jesus suffered and died for all creation, then that is all creation. That's that's the that's the insects and the the, the animals and and um, the trees and everything else, because um, all through um, in, in the Old Testament, you you start to realise that God is very much in touch with all His creation, particularly in um, one of the chapters that fascinated me was in. Um, the book of Job 28, where mm-hmm. he says to Job, if you know the story of Job, anyway, won't Yeah, well, a lot of our listeners won't, because some have got no religious affiliation, some belong to different faiths, yeah. so explain it to I us. I think to Job, you know, were you with the um, the hinds on the mountains as they gave birth to the young? Do you find food for the um, eagle in, um, flying eerily in the sky? So what is it from our religious tradition? I think... Um, uh, the, the, uh, one of the major teachings of our religious faith, as in all faith traditions, incidentally, is to care for the earth, is to care for the created world. So it's very, very much part of um, the Catholic tradition, the Christian tradition, the Islam tradition, Buddhism, Jewish tradition. Um, so I think it, um, uh, it, it uh, it's relevant for all with all religious traditions, to be attentive to the health of the planet. Mm. Yes. Do you think uh, more people of faith are coming on board and rubbing shoulders with uh, people oh, of no yes. faith? No, um, I belong to them too, the Australian Religious Response to Climate Change and Faith for Justice, Ecological Justice. Mm. So, yes, they are doing their very best to bring about the necessary change um, and, it, and it all depends on people. The people, um, the scientists say we need 25% of people to say the earth is in crisis. We now need to change our relationship with the earth, with the planet, with Mother Nature. Mm. Yes. Do you find that people from the Pentecostal tradition are joining or are they still um, sitting on the offence? Oh, uh, no idea what they're doing. No idea, um, that's fair enough, yeah. Because, I mean, I've noticed, I mean, the Catholic Church has always had this um, uh, position regarding, um, you know, s- social services and in terms of... The social justice. Social yes, justice, yeah. yeah. It's always had that yeah. position uh, from the very beginning. It's part of its yeah. fundamental teachings. But some of these... Uh, new type of variations of Christianity just seem to be interested in themselves and uh, nothing else. So, so you're, you're, you're putting a lot of time into this. I have. This is my life's work now. Um, mm. If you're familiar with scripture, it says, work while you have the light. Mm. Well, I've just had a recent, another recent breast cancer. So I'm my, I've changed my tune now. I'm going to work while I have the light right. to... Um, to advance the um, the climate cause, yes. 
So, look, I, I, look, you don't have to answer this, but you said you had breast cancer. So you've had a relapse, have you? Or? Uh, a second one, yes. Yes. So how many years in between? Seven. Seven. So you went, what, through chemotherapy and radiotherapy in the first time or just surgery? I did, yes. The whole works, yeah. It, it happens, it happens. And uh, are you under any particular treatment at the minute? I've just finished. Uh, finished a radiation um, a week ago. Right. How do you feel? Yeah. Um, I feel wonderful. I'm very grateful to medical science because um, without them, well, we wouldn't be able to work with the environment, would we? Well, I think a lot of people are beginning to realise that uh, scientists have uh, something to say. Now, they do. Yeah. Now, I'm really, look, like you, I'm interested in esoteric subjects. Maybe it's because of the, t- the period we were born in. There's <laughs> a bit of a diversion. So tell us about your book on Mary Magdalene. My book on Mary Magdalene. Well, when I was doing my master's, I did a topic called um, um, uh, Women in the Church, and I chose to do Mary Magdalene. And what unfolded for me was absolutely revelationary. Um uh, it begins by looking at the um, the woman who was healed of a hemorrhage, which I hadn't read about with anyone else, um, and that was significant for me. Um, one of the most significant things was um, the beloved disciples' story because um, the four Gospels named the people at the foot of the cross, um, and at the foot of the cross, John was not there, and yet John in legend um, is... Um, Jesus' mother was given into his care. Mm-hmm. However, John would have been with the, the um, with the scattered apostles, and so there were n- numbers of things that cropped up that I thought, okay, this is where Mary Magdalene would have featured. She would have been that story of um, Jesus looked down from the cross and saw the disciple he loved standing next to his mother, and he said, "Woman, behold your son." But another one is um, the, the the Gospels, the four Gospels, clearly. Well, the three, the three synoptic gospels clearly say the apostles were asleep during the agony in the garden. So, who interviewed Jesus for the like, news on his agony if the apostles were asleep? So, someone must have seen it. Who would have seen it? The one who loved him the most, his mum and Mary Magdalene. Um, when um, another one is um, when Jesus appeared to the two on the way to Emmaus. Um, and all through my life, it's been two disciples, two men. But the wife of Clopas, Jesus appeared to Clopas on that trip to Emmaus. The wife of Clopas was at the foot of the cross in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. So, and she turns out to be Jesus' auntie. So probably when Jesus appeared to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, he actually appeared to his auntie, not the bloke. <laughs> so right. in, in my story, there's a lot of... Um, in, um, it's absolutely based on scripture. It's just in t- it's my interpretation of the written word that's there, which all my life I've just listened to, and it's just gone poof straight over my head. Mm-hmm. And another one is um, is uh, in the Gospel of John, um, Jesus is taken prisoner, Peter follows from a distance with another disciple. I've never heard who this other disciple was. Never thought about it. Never heard any commentary on it. So who would be the other disciple? Would be the one who loved him the most, which is Mary Magdalene. She would have followed him. And so who 
who was able to record Jesus' passion and death, um, passion and um, trial. Mm. Um, and we can't depend on the people who want to execute him to get the true story. So it would have been someone who knew him and loved him, and probably a woman was able to get in and see what, what was going on. Mm. How, how, has this, how has this been received in, in uh, church circles? Uh, those who have read my book and thought, wow, never thought of that before, um, and, and and they have the same responses as I've always had. Like, I've listened to the scriptures read every Sunday all my life yeah. and never picked up on these things. So, um, yeah, it doesn't matter whether I've spoken to a priest or um, someone who knows the scriptures well, they say, oh, gee, I never thought of that. Oh, right. No, I never thought of that. Right. So you're not, you're not on the verge of excommunication. Oh, it's funny you should say that, because <laughs> when my um, letter came, um, greetings from the Vatican, dear Dr. Bannon. I thought, oh my God, Mary Magdalene. Anyway, it has nothing to do with her whatsoever, um, right. because I do go on to make um, claims that she wrote the Gospel of John, she was a beloved disciple, and... Um, that's, uh, that's and, uh, yes, for those who've read it, I've got good feedback um, and people have found it quite uh, well, interesting. That's, that's, that's a radical interpretation that she actually wrote the Gospel of John. Yeah. Oh, it's quite, it's quite clear. I think I'd come up with about... Oh, I, I, look, look, I'm not doubting it, but I'm just saying, as far as... Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Now, if people want to get access to this book, what what do they need to do? You mean Mary Magdalene? Yes. Um, oh, well, um, it's on um, uh, just any of the bookstores, but um, on Amazon or... Ah, fascinating. Repository or something like that, yeah. so, so what's the title again, the full title? Um, oh, Mary of Magdala. Mary of Magdala. Uh, suspicions. Suspicions. Suspicion of an enigmatic woman in unexplored places. Whoa. <laughs> Once again. Suspicion of an enigmatic woman in unexplored places. By uh, Margaret Bannon. By me, yep. yep. Look, Margaret, it's been a uh, pleasure speaking to you. I'll tell you why. It's a pleasure speaking to you because you're somebody who has done many things in your life. That's the type of people we like to interview. And I think you've, as you said, you need to be active from the very beginning to make the most out of life. And uh, I've got a little joke for people. I usually, I, I occasionally tell, I say, look, uh, I'm an atheist and, um, you know, I try to cram in as much as possible before the end of life because that's it. You've come from a different tradition. You've come from a... Uh, Catholic uh, religious tradition and you try to cram in as much as you can in your life so that you can make a difference to the people around you and your community and I think that's a, a very wonderful thing and I've been uh, honoured to have been able to uh, speak to you Margaret and uh, I wish you all the best and hopefully your uh, cancer treatment, uh, second treatment works and uh, can I ask you a favour? Yes, Joe. Can you invite me to your 100th birthday party? I'll be 97 and you'll be 100. How does that sound? Uh, if you think I'm 
thinking we're going to get there with climate change, Joe. Oh, I can absolutely assure you, you'll be invited. Lovely. <laughs> thank you very much, and I'd like to thank uh, Kelly Whitworth for uh, uh, lining him up for an interview. It's been a fascinating interview. I've learned a lot of things. All the best for the future. Thank you very much, Darren. Thank you, Kelly. Father, can you tell me what the big guy did today? Did he make another insect walk across the sea? Do the washing up or selfie wishes on TV? Fix the car or fly down from above? Tell me for the please, is he really love? Well, I never met this man, but I sure do know his face. So I walked a while through Cambridge, stumbled on a place. I've never been a true believer, but I've got the myth explained. Tell me what the big guy did today Did he cook a hearty breakfast Make it home okay Get the kids to school on time Mend his road one jeans Worry about the future Hard times we have seen Tell me for the please Is he really
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.